Good morning, everybody. All right, this morning we're continuing in our series through the book of Exodus. <clears throat> We've reached a critical passage. I've got um, some health things going on in my, like, nose and in my throat. And then because of that, the medicine that I've taken has affected my brain. And so uh, a couple of you wouldn't mind praying for me as I try to open God's word for us this morning. Uh, but we're in the book of Exodus. Um, this passage is super important. This is the passage the book is named after, okay? Exodus. This is where the people actually get out. Uh, We're going to be um, in Exodus 12, verse 31. That whole let my people go thing, this is it. This is where the people actually get let go. So it's a super important passage for the book of Exodus. And, looking for your Bible? No, guitar. You're leading the kids in worship? Greg, you're like a, like, a, like a superstar in the kingdom this week. He preaches last weekend. He's up here. I want more. I want to be Greg Dempster when I grow up, everybody. Great is his reward in the kingdom of heaven. Also, put a thumb if you're one of the people that can move through the Bible quickly. Uh, Exodus 12, 31. And then open, if you can do it fast enough, over to 1 Corinthians 10, will you? I want to show you something about how important this passage is, not just to the book of Exodus, but to you. I want us to recognize how important this passage is. This is 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. Okay, Red Sea. There it is. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, There's a reality here you might miss, he's saying. There's a danger here that you could slip into. Our fathers were all under the cloud and they passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, okay? There it is, that's our passage. Listen up, Paul says, the story about Moses and the Red Sea, learn from it. Paul continues that. They all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. So that's the coming Next couple of weeks in the book of Exodus, pay attention to those two. They all drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Here's the landing point. Now, these things took place as examples for us. What was the, what's the purpose of this example? that we might not desire evil as they did. Paul has a burden for us this morning. He wants us to recognize that the story of the Red Sea is a story for us. It's a story for you. The sermon is going to cover, you can flip back to Exodus 12 now. The sermon is going to cover starting in chapter 12, verse 31. And in a, a Neil Martin attempt at Herculean leaping, I'm going to be preaching through the end of chapter 14 in one sermon. But I'm going to be skipping a little section in the middle, okay, from verse, uh, uh, chapter 12, 43 to chapter 13, verse 16. I'm going to be skipping that section. Rod asked if he could speak on the Passover celebration and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and I really want to hear that sermon. So I'm not going to speak on that. He'll get to, okay? Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. Okay, fine. <laughs> It didn't make sense to me when he asked either, but it's what we have for us this morning, and uh, I'm really excited about it. We've got three kind of big chunks in the passage. 
Um, I'll get to that in a second. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm just going to read two verses for us this morning, and then we'll pray and dive in. Let's start in verse 31, and I'll read 31 and 32. This is right after that tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. Verse 31, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we recognize that we do not live by bread alone. We live by the word of God. We live by the very words that proceed from your mouth So we pray that you would allow the heavenly food of your word to teach us today about the ways of eternal life. May Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven, nourish our souls this morning so that we may stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. In his name we pray, amen. Amen, please be seated. All right, the sermon, the passage today comes in in three sections. Comes in three sections. Four parts if you include the part that Rod stole. Three parts left for me. Even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. The sections divide up like this. There's no crumbs in God's word, just to let you know. Feasts falling from the table. The first section is this. uh, Chapter 12, verses 31 through 42, and then 13, 17 through 49. The first section is entitled this. God's people are declared free. God's people are declared free. The second section, Exodus 14, it's a small section, just verses 10 through 12. God's people are scared silly. They're declared free. They're scared silly. Third, God's people are rescued graciously. If, you, if it has to rhyme for you, if it has to rhyme, then it could be, um, it could be declared free, scared, silly, and spared graciously. But if it doesn't, then you can go with rescued graciously. All right, let's, let's dive in. Let's start right in verse 31. We're going to start moving through verse by verse initially to start with, and then we'll start eating it up in chunks as we get going. First, God's people are declared free. This is verse 31. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron, we read this, take your flocks and your herds as you have said, be gone. With a word, Pharaoh says the thing we've been waiting weeks for him to say. In two power-packed sentences, Pharaoh capitulates. He gives in entirely to Moses' request, and he grudgingly obeys God's command. With these words, he finally acknowledges that Pharaoh is not God. Wow. Philippians 2 says that every knee, one day, every knee is going to bow before Jesus Christ as Lord. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But they're not all going to do it lovingly. (laughs) They're not all going to be excited about it. Pharaoh is confessing that Yahweh is God. He has no delight in it. His confession here is an admission of fact more than an embrace of faith. So God's people are declared free. They're freed by Pharaoh's proclamation. Next, verse 33. They're going to be freed with Egypt's possessions. We're going, the people are going free. They're going free by Pharaoh's proclamation. They're going free with Egypt's possessions. Here's verse 33. Notice the panic in verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. That's, I, 
That's what urgent means, is in haste, but it needs to be said twice. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. Now look at how the the Israelites have this peaceful response in verse 35. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. They had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And they let them have what they asked for. And they plundered the Egyptians. Oh, so where did the Israelites get all that gold for the tabernacle? Where did the Israelites get all that gold for the temple? Oh yeah, they just took it from Egypt. They just, it was given to them. That's where they got all that gold. Oh, that's cool. So they're freed by Pharaoh's proclamation. They're freed with Egypt's possessions. And thirdly, they're freed with Yahweh's provision. Look what God gave them. Verse 37 They baked unleavened cakes of dough they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Yahweh had to give them food. They didn't have time to have any provisions for themselves. They didn't rescue themselves. They couldn't provide for themselves. And also they were freed with God's time frame. There's verse 40. At that time, the people of Israel lived in Egypt 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. God has a plan. Look at that. And that plan's got a time frame that was measured. That was measured down to the day, the text says. To the very day. What's significant about 430 years? I don't know. I looked. I checked three commentaries. Nobody knew exactly. But it was significant to God, okay? He's got an anniversary in mind. It's a, it, ex, the Exodus was an anniversary gift, and it was not going to happen a day earlier or a day later. When we get to heaven, maybe that'll be something he'll be like, it was 430 days from the time I promised Abraham. That's why he'll be like, oh, that's so cool. And we don't know. We're speculating. And the more guessing, the less blessing. So... <laughs> I'm not going to make guesses on what it was. Let's just look at the text only. Okay, now we're going to make a little jump for Rod's sermon. Everybody say jump. Jump. All right, chapter 13, verse 17. God has rescued the people. And and he's also, what has he given them? Provisions and this time frame and, and these promises. Verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, Although that was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now later in our story, Israel's going to fight. Later in our story, it's going to be important that they've got those weapons. Later, God was going to fight through the people. But right now, at the beginning, he wants to establish the nature of this relationship. And it's this. God fights for his people's deliverance. Yahweh wants his people to be a missionary before they're a military. This was never a test of the strength of their fight. It was a test of the length of their sight. Israel, can you see it? Can you see who God has made you to be? This wasn't about displaying defined uh, dominance. It was about trusting divine providence. Now look at verse 19. Moses, 
Here's a little tag for those of you who love the book of Genesis. Moses took the bones of, Eat, of Joseph with him. He took the bones of Joseph with him. Were they in a box? Was that a casket? Was that a bag? He took them with him. For, Mo, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Here's a picture of faith. The tradition was, for the descendants of a patriarch... If, if the patriarch was traveling and he died outside the land, you're supposed to take him, take the body, take the bones home and bury him at his home. And Joseph flips the script. He's like, oh yeah, bury me at home. Except that's not really um, Egypt. And that's not really back where you got... I want to be buried where um, God's promised that we're going. So he's like, hold on to my bones and bury me in the promised land. So Exodus 1.8 says that a new king rose over Egypt who didn't know Joseph. Pharaoh forgot all about Joseph. God didn't. God didn't. Joseph was looking forward to this promise of this promised land. It reminds me of a really crazy story in Ezekiel 32. Do you know this one? Uh, in this story, um, uh, is it Ezekiel 32? Is that what I said? It's Jeremiah 32. Thank you. Jeremiah 32 um, Jeremiah has been prophesying that God is going to come and judge Jerusalem. God is going to come and judge his people. It's coming, and it's, he said it so often, and the king of Israel is so annoyed at it that he actually finally arrests Jeremiah and throws him in the dungeon. And right when that happens, Babylon starts attacking, and the, the city of Jerusalem is under siege Jeremiah is in the jail for saying the thing that's going to happen. The Babylonian army is sieging. They're about to carry off all of the people. Jeremiah has been saying for 31 chapters, you're going to get carried off into captivity because of your evil, because of what you've done. You're going to be carried off into captivity. And now he's in jail. It's happening. And do you know what um, Jeremiah does? He starts buying land in Israel. He starts like, oh, it's cheap right now, isn't it? Is there like a, there's like a, there's like, you know, there's a discount over on that, that corner lot over there. I'm going to, he starts buying land. Why? Because he believes God's promise. Because God said, hey, um, you'll be back. And he's like, oh, well, in that case, let's do this. So he, he steps forward in faith. And this is what Joseph has done. He stepped forward in faith. He said, like, bury my bones in the new home. So they're carrying his bones. All right, verse 20. They moved on from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day. My voice is trashed right now. Hang on. I'll have to figure out how to use that later. Ah. Sorry, everybody, I just sang my voice out in the previous songs. Um, what does the cloud and the fire mean? It's a picture of God's presence. It's a picture of God is going with the people. With this fire, God is teaching Israel the same lessons he taught Moses with the fire at the burning bush. This is the burning bush for the people of Israel. We're going to see later in the book when God gives the people manna in chapter 16. When he gives the people the law in chapter 19, when he provides the tabernacle with his indwelling in chapter 40, he's going to show up with this cloud and this fire. It's his presence. 
The people have been freed by Pharaoh's decree. They've been freed with Egypt's possessions, and they've been freed with God's provisions. They've been declared free. Now, in our second section, this is chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, we see this. God's people are, are scared silly. They are scared silly. Let's pick up the story in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, had he forgotten, by the way? Like, what happened there? He just told Moses and Aaron, you can go. And then a chapter later, they're like, by the way, the Israelites are gone. What happened there? I don't know. The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we've done? We've let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, verse 7. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. So notice this. The people are scared silly because Pharaoh has second thoughts. Here's the big question. Who owns Israel? Who owns them? Is it Pharaoh or is it Yahweh? Is it the enslaving Pharaoh or the redeeming Yahweh? Is it the genocidal ruler of Egypt or the life-giving ruler of the universe? Verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and encamped by the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. Pharaoh is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But the God who called Israel out of Egypt is about to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish them. So we've seen that Pharaoh has second thoughts, and now notice this, verses 10 through 12, now Israel starts second guessing. Second thoughts lead to second guessing. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. This cry out to the Lord actually becomes uh, kind of famous later on in the Bible. It's mentioned in Joshua 24, verse 7. It's mentioned in Nehemiah 9, verse 5. And it really needs to be seen as a really huge temper tantrum. This is a temper tantrum. Um, um, your kid, picture, checkout line, candy bar. Like, you know, you just, you've just bought food for the kid. You're about home, and here, now they're losing it right now. It's a meltdown. We learned back in Exodus 3.6 that God heard their cries. The entire story of Exodus is proof that God has heard them. To start crying now, right after seeing, they just saw the plagues. They just got gloriously freed from Egypt. They're carrying gold and jewels with them. And now they're crying out. It's proof that they have their eyes on their immediate circumstances and not on the character and promises of their rescuing God. As we read this, we're going to see three fears that God's people have. Follow along. I'm going to read three verses for us, starting in verse 10. 10, 11, and 12. Watch for the three fears that God's people have. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. rut row. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. 
Uh, P.S. They never said that. They, they, they never said that. For it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Okay, here's the three fears. Did you find them? First, um, graves in Egypt. We, we should have just stayed in Egypt and died. Second fear, we want to be left alone. Just please leave me alone. And third, there's just two options here. Serve Egypt or die. Those are the three fears, right, in the passage. We're going to be talking about that. Now, before we begin this third section, third and final section, I want us to remember what Paul said to us at the beginning. I've been kind of flying through some of this content for us pretty quick. But I want to make sure that we're seeing applications here. Paul exhorted us in 1 Corinthians 10. The things that happen to them are examples to us. How so? How so? Here's the switch for us right here this morning. Have we been declared free? Have we been declared free? Were we slaves at one point? Have we been declared free? Were we slaves before? Yes, Paul writes in Romans 6, 19. That once we presented our members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading us to more lawlessness. We were slaves. Have we been declared free? Absolutely. Yes, Galatians 5, 1 says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. How did that happen? Because we were declared free. In a moment, we were justified by his grace through faith, says Romans, the book of Romans. But also specifically uh, chapter 3, maybe start in 21 and look on from there. We've been declared free. Second, are we scared silly? Yes. Yes, we are. Do you ever have temper tantrums with God? Think about it. Think about some of your most honest prayers. Do you ever wonder if God knows what he's doing? Do you have your eyes on your immediate circumstances and not on the character and the promises of your rescuing God? Well, then maybe this is an example for all of us. And I think there is a lot of encouragement now as we move to the third section of the passage that we can look and not just learn historically about what happened to them, but we can see it as an example for us, we who have been declared free and we who are scared silly. We can agree with Paul that the story serves as an example to us. Let's be sure now to open our hearts as we learn how God treats people who have been declared free and are scared silly. Part three, God, God's people are rescued graciously. They're rescued for divine glory. God wants us to see here the reason he's rescuing is for his glory. You're going to see this. This is verse 4. God says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Again, in verses 17 and 18, God says, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. God's commitment to rescue and to save Israel 
God's commitment to rescue and to save his people. God's commitment to rescue and save his church. God's commitment to rescue and save you is because of his own glory. This is why he's doing it. This is not, your salvation is not some side project for God. Your salvation is not some, if I have enough time, I'll get to it. It's not some like, well, that's something I can do on weekends, but I'm not that concerned with it. It's not some weekend hobby for him. God promised that the earth would be filled with the glory of the Lord like the waters covered the earth, okay? And because of that, your salvation is part of it. Him saving you, his, him rescuing you is part of his glory. It's going to happen. Why? Because that is the reason why God does everything. It would be, um, God acts like he is the center of the universe. Because he is. <laughs> you cannot act like the center of the universe because you, you aren't. You aren't the center of the universe. You need to act like you are in orbit around the center of the universe. God gets to act like he's the center of the universe because he is. It's amazing. So he does all things for his glory. Now that would seem like bad news for those of us who were, you know, grown up, you know. I remember, um, uh, I can tell this story. Not enough people listen to my recordings. <laughs> my mom teaches... Um, at an elementary school. And she's taught forever. And um, I remember calling home, like, how you doing, Mom? She's like, oh, I'm doing okay. And I could just tell something was wrong. And she had just gotten reamed out by someone who was furious at her for correcting papers in red ink. Because red ink indicated that her son was wrong. My mom was like, that's what, yeah, there's... That's basically what that means. So, like, could she maybe instead use green circles instead of red X's to correct papers? Okay. My mom said, sure. But you should know green circles mean your son was wrong. <laughs> in a world where we are deeply invested in acting like we are the center of the universe, it seems like bad news to find out that we're not. It's not bad news. It is not bad news to find out that something infinitely more important, infinitely more central, infinitely more self-sustaining, something infinitely more joyful than us is in the center of the universe. Do you know what's in the middle of the universe that we all orbit around? The happiest being possible. God is thrilled with being God. It is so much, there's so much joy inside of him. It just bursts out. He has so much joy in the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It is this community that just, it's like, you know, I mean, like, what's the, like, you know, my kids were trying to tell me about the Son and how many, like, it, it's like hydrogen bombs. It's like, you know, five million hydrogen bombs exploding every second. That's the Son. I was like, wow. God made that. Just like, how about some light over there? <laughs> what, what sort of noise does the sun make? Somebody? What, how, how loud do you think the sun is? Just, how loud is that? 
How come no one can hear it? Oh, oh yeah, I know somebody who could hear it. The Lord's like listening to that. Like, I love that song, that sun song. It's like... (laughs) Rescued for his glory. Secondly, like, let's notice how God's people are rescued to answer unbelief. Those three pieces of unbelief, God is going to flip on their heads. Let's notice how it works. First, the people were worried about their graves in Egypt. God answers that question basically by saying this. There weren't enough graves in... Why did we come out of Egypt? Because there weren't enough graves in Egypt to bury the Egyptians. That's what his answer is. Look how God answers in verse 28. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. Hey, God's people, instead of thinking about your grave back in Egypt, God's rescue means that Egypt's graves are right here. The flood, like the flood of Noah, God's rescue means the judgment of the unbelief of those who opposed him. He has allowed the chaos of water, like an 11th plague, to swallow up the Egyptians and to become their graves. Remember the second statement of unbelief? We want to be left alone. Look at God's answer here. It's in verse 19. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of heaven moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Instead of wanting to be left alone, God's rescue means this. God's with us. He's with us. He's fighting for us. He's in our midst. So really, the rescue, our rescue depends on the object of our faith. Our rescue depends on the object of our faith. God, the object of our faith, is with us. Our rescue depends on the object of our faith, and I I hope you get this. It depends on the object of our faith and not the quality of our faith. I want you to think about for a moment as the people are walking through the Red Sea together. All the people are walking through. The text describes it really cool. It says, this is verse 22, the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand, And on their left. So there's two walls of water. There's a wall of water here. And there's a wall of water here. And they're walking through. Question. What would be, um, what would you be thinking while you crossed through that? Here's a good guess. It's probably what you're thinking when you're crossing through what God's bringing you through right now. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who would be like, uh, you know, like Greg Dempster. You know, Greg would be like, come on! Look at this! I mean, let's, hey, let's, let's give the Lord a, like, a, come on, let's give it up for the Lord. That's a wall of water, everybody. That's, there's another wall right over here. Come on! Some of you would be more like me on my dark days. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Which of those two people made it through? Because the reason for our rescue, it's not based on the quality of our faith. 
It's based on the object of our faith. Is it okay that I keep grabbing my ear like this? I don't know who just preached last week, but they had very small ears. Was Legolas here? Is that what happened? Can I get you back? It's not based on the quality of your faith. Some of you are so worried about your Christian faith because it's just not as strong or as exuberant as that person. And this week, it wasn't very thrilling, and I kind of thought it would be a lot easier. I've been a Christian now for a while. I just thought it was going to be easier by now. Hey, here's some good news. Here's some really good news. You're saved by the object of your faith and not by the quality of your faith. I need that. Remember the third statement of unbelief? Serve the Egyptians or die? God's rescue teaches us that there's a better option. It's not just slavery or death. Here's the third option, life. How did Israel get life? How did they get life when Egypt got death? How do we get life? That brings us to our third point. God's people are rescued for his glory. God's people are rescued to answer their unbelief. And now they're rescued by a mediator. They're rescued by a mediator. Look at this strange thing, verse 15. I want you to see this in your text. Verse 15. The people are crying out in that temper tantrum. Verse 15 says, The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Notice how Moses gets rebuked for the people's complaining. Moses, look at the text. Moses, like in the previous verse, he just, the people are crying out. Moses says to them, hey, 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 stand firm and watch for the salvation of the Lord. And then God yells at Moses, why are you crying out to me? Moses represents the people to the Lord to such a degree that Moses gets rebuked for their complaining. But notice how Moses represents the Lord to the people, verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. Moses represents the people to God, and he represents God to the people. He's a mediator. Question, do you have a mediator? Is there someone who represents you to the Lord? Before the throne of God above, do you have a strong and perfect plea? Is there someone who not only represents you to God, but went further than Moses ever could? Is there somebody who emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men? Someone who came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully fulfilled in us. Moses could never do that. Only Jesus Christ is that sort of mediator. Moses could only represent God to the people. He could only represent God to the people. Jesus is greater than that. In verse 21, it says that Moses stretched out his hand to drive the sea back. Verse 27, it says, Moses stretched out his hand that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians. One hand saved Israel. The other hand judged Egypt. Christ's hands stretched. And his stretched hands provided salvation for us. 
His hand saved his people and judged his enemies, but more, greater than Moses, Christ's stretching changed his enemies into his people. He said that he was going to be like Jonah, and on the cross, he was swallowed up in judgment. His stretched hands received the outpouring of judgment. Chaos poured on him. Worse than the Red Sea pouring on the Egyptians, the chaos, the undoing of the whole world of God's judgment fell on Christ. Can you see Christ this morning? It's so important that we see. I sometimes think of my heart like it's made out of metal. And I picture it. And when, I, when, I, when something happens in my world or when I, when I sin, when I do something wrong, I just picture like my heart gets like, boom, gets like damaged. And what happens is, you guys know what happens when you like dent metal. You try to fix it with a hammer. And you're like, I got to bang that back into shape. So it kind of, and then it's like, and it's kind of the right shape. But it's not like it was. It's not like it was. And when you try to bang your heart into shape with, I got to try harder. I got to, this time I mean it. This, this time I, I got to like, okay, I got to just do it right this time. This, and you're just banging your heart back into shape. You can, you can get it kind of back into shape. It's not fixed though until, like metal, it gets melted. That's the only way to really fix it. That's the only way to really fix it. And how do you fix your heart? Is to have your heart melt by seeing Christ, by seeing him sacrifice himself for you, melts your heart, and suddenly it just drops right. It's fixed. In verse 13, we're going to end here. In verse 13, Moses says to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. We are not working for our salvation We're not trying to bang our hearts back into place. We're not trying to find rules that we, can, that we can obey that will push our heart back into place. We're not trying to do things. We're not trying to, to um, achieve things for him. We're not trying to, to, to work for him. We're watching. The word for salvation there, I, I, I don't like to do this a lot, but this one was too good. Um, the word for salvation there, the Hebrew word for it, it's translated in a lot of different ways in the Old Testament. It's translated deliverance. It's translated health. It's translated help. It's translated rescue. Moses says, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. The Hebrew word there, salvation, is the word Yeshua. Fear not, stand firm and see the Yeshua of the Lord. The angel said to Mary, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will Yeshua his people from their sins. Call him Yeshua, for he has come to Yeshua us all. Let's pray. Jesus, the name that charms our fears and that bids our sorrow cease, it's music in a sinner's ears. It's life and health.
and peace. God, we ask that you would help us to see you. In, in a world where we know we've been declared free. We know, Jesus, we know you've died on the cross for us. We know that in our minds. But we just need that to like drop into our hearts more and more. We have been declared free, but we are scared as your people. We are just filled with fears and with uncertainties. We're encouraged that this is not some new thing that's only happening to us. We're encouraged that this has been happening to your people throughout time. God, this morning we decide to, not, to stop looking at the quality of our, of our faith and start looking to the object of our faith. Give us eyes to see Christ. May he shine this morning. May the reality of who he is and what he has done fall upon us as we sing of him and his work this morning. In his name we pray, amen. Ushers, you thought that I forgot the offering?